We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two pitch, ball line to Yount, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air, Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history! Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center! He's done it! 3,000 for Robin! And there's a drive in the left field! This is hit well! And it's gone! Right a two-run home run! The Brewers take the lead! Morgan, a smash up the middle! Base hit the center! You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder, as I talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast. Uh, you may once again notice the absence of an Irish accent during this intro. Adam McGee still under the weather. We, we wish him all the best and hope that he returns to us very soon. But despite saying it would be only I talking to Milwaukee Brewers today, I am once again joined by a distinguished guest, from a disclosed Wisconsin location, joining me across time and space is Ty Windish of the Eurostep Podcast and all things Eurostep Podcast Network. Ty, welcome again. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to talk about one third of the series, which is, you know, one full more game. And I was excited to talk about last time when we recapped the Phillies series. So, but no, excited to join you again, uh, Andrew and and hoping our buddy Adam McGee is is back and feeling great very soon. Yeah, it was getting to a point where we had to start to wonder, are Ty and Andrew podcast bad luck? Because the last time we spoke, we were talking about a sweep at the hands of the Philadelphia Phillies. Six-game losing streak going to the series in Washington against the Nationals. That would extend to eight games on Friday and on Saturday. But on Sunday, the Brewers did the damn thing, and they won a baseball game. 
in really classic Brewers fashion to a degree in terms of the scoreline and where they got to in the seventh inning. It's just kind of uh, what you expect from a Brewers win. And uh, it was nice to see. It's crazy how much this team affects my mental health and well-being through two months of this season. Uh, and it's been a rocky stretch of games. I think what what did that uh, losing streak end up making? And I think it was uh, 10 of 11 games or if for eight of yeah 10 of 11 games, I think, uh, based on losing two to the Nationals. But then Sunday erased that. Um, but we're going to talk about the whole series. And then we've also got some some master brewer points to hand out. And it's, it was kind of sh- striking that even though this was overall not a good series, I think there were a lot of guys who had good performances and some guys stepped up so we'll get to discuss that later and then we also get to discuss a a milestone win for craig council um but uh things did not start off on on the right foot uh in this series aaron ashby got the start um in on friday in game one against eric fetty and this is something that i said uh in a little collaboration we did with the natch chat podcast on, on blue wire podcast network as well the Nationals came out with a very, very strategic and focused game plan, and that was to swing early and often and not allow Ashby to get into deep counts where he can blow you away with high 90s up in the zone or that devastating sweeping breaking ball. Uh, they swung early. They swung often. 13 hits against Ashby. He only went four and two-thirds innings, six runs, all of them earned, one, one walk. So normally it's the walks that are Ashby's downfall when he's struggling. But uh, – it was a uh, death by a thousand cuts was the national strategy. Just swing the bat, get on base, put the ball in play, make things happen. And like I said, they did that to the tune of 13 hits and Ashby only had two strikeouts. Um, it was just kind of a really uh, unique approach in today's era of baseball and kind of a, a philosophy that I espouse, which is work counts, get pitchers pitch counts up and just be patient at the plate. But Sometimes against the right opponent, uh, it can make sense to just be aggressive with the bat, and that's what the Nats did. Yeah, I mean, really just an unfortunate – I mean, whenever you see less than five innings worked and a 13 in the hits column, unless it's a Jason Alexander game, the uh, the runs are probably going to follow, and that was certainly the case for Ashby. You know, I think maybe we were spoiled early in the year when it felt like, uh, you know, Ashby and Lauer won more than the other, but – They were just so dependable and so good. They've obviously had to be higher in the rotation because of injuries to Woodruff and Peralta, but those were your four or five pitchers coming in. And you should probably expect, I mean, maybe not 13 hits and four and two thirds and six runs, but you should probably expect your four and five guys to have a dud every now and then. It certainly stunk, especially with the offense actually producing a bit in this game and really across the series. I can't, I can't hold it in anymore. My fun fact that I, I teased you before we started recording. Maybe it's not that fun. The first two games, both losses, the Brewers scored 11 runs. That was more than they scored in the three-game series against the Phillies or a four-game series against the Padres. Actually, I think, did they tie their last two series in the Nets series alone? They actually did. They scored 10 or nine against the Padres, five against the Phillies, and uh, 14, 15 against the Nats. So the Bats at least finally woke up. But unfortunately, the Brewers did not get a win in this game one because between Ashby and Sanchez, who I regrettably uh, gave a shout out to, I gave the, the Rohan kiss of death to apparently the Brewers. It really just became a non-competitive game by the sixth. And 
you know, scoring five runs is usually pretty darn good for the Brewers. It was not nearly enough in this game. Yeah, uh, that four spot in the bottom of the six for the Nationals um, off of Miguel Sanchez uh, is where the game just became unchaseable to an extent. Um, they would the Brewers would get two back in the eighth, and then the Nationals would answer in the bottom of the eighth, and just they, they just couldn't chase it down. You put yourself in such a deep hole. Uh, the thing we we talk about um, with this team often when we're um, kind of wondering how a series will, will go or what could be the issues, it's will they get guys on base into scoring positions, and will they cash in those situations? Like I think as we ha- talked about on the last podcast, the Brewers rank towards the bottom of MLB in advanced runners in scoring position uh but this series it was just kind of the the reliable thing that you expect to go well did not and that's the the starting pitching i'm not worried about ashby he's had some bumps in the road i think this is just all part of the growing (coughs) excuse me uh growing pains that come with uh learning how to be a every fifth day starter in the major leagues zra is up to 391 it'll be interesting to see if council works to limit his innings and maybe we see an Ethan small return at some point and Ashby shift into a bullpen role for a few weeks just to see if he can uh, limit those innings and, and allow him to refresh himself a bit don't know that that'll happen but it's something that you know I, I wonder about and especially as uh, Brandon Woodruff who continues to throw as he's dealing with that circulation issue um, we'll see if there's ways to some of the younger pitchers like Ashby uh get a little break here and there, maybe have a spot skipped in the rotation, go back into that dominant pin roll. Uh, but he just didn't have it. And it, kudos to the Nationals for that plate approach that was just very unique in this day and age in baseball. Lane Thomas seems like he's always on base against the Brewers. Three for five, three runs scored. Nelson Cruz, who is uh, aging like a fine wine, I guess, lately. He had been having a you know an okay season at the plate this year getting on base but not really hitting for the power that he's known for well uh that changed in in, in this series he, he had a few singles in this game and then hit a homer in the eighth um just up and down the lineup a, a struggling nationals team i think they're 23 and 39 on the year 16 ish 17 games back of the new york Mets for first place in the nl east not someone that factors into the playoff conversation at all and they're three and three against the Brewers this year and just seem to be a really resilient lineup. Uh, you think about the Nationals, you think about Juan Soto. Say Juan Soto can't beat us and we'll be fine. Soto had a hit and two RBI in this game, but it was really just the guys around him that we mentioned, like Lane Thomas, Cesar Hernandez, Josh Bell, Kybert Ruiz, who is the catcher that they acquired from Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from the Dodgers last year, looks like a really interesting kind of centerpiece young catcher. Like, he you, you can talk about him as like uh washington's narvaez going forward where it's you know you have a consistent guy who can potentially uh make an all-star game so it's it's crazy to be this impressed with such a bad on paper team but in game one they just really came out executed a game plan and made it very difficult for the Bre- brewers lead off yelly uh worked out pretty good again in in this game two for five with a couple of singles and a run scored mccutcheon seems to be figuring things out we'll talk a little bit more about him later but three for four two runs scored and rbi um other than that uh or jace peterson home run who's uh slugging percentage it's so weird his slugging percentage is still creeping up and the on-base percentage is dropping down which is not something we tend to associate with jace peterson it's usually jace is getting on base now it's jace is uh not getting on base quite as often but he's hitting for pop 
and uh, it'll be interesting to see if that moves forward. But 11-5 loss in game one. One other highlight I want to point out is we got a scoreless two-strikeout Brent Suter outing, um, and that's that's really nice to see. If, if Suter can bounce back and join Hobie Milner as a reliable middle innings arm, that would be huge. And like I said, I also um, bought his book, so uh, I'm an investor in Brent Suter. So really hope uh, he keeps it up. Uh, one other point to make is this uh, Luke Barker pitched an inning, gave up a run, uh, and now he has returned to the Nashville Sounds. Um, and Peter is lucky. Has Nelson been, uh, called up. Nelson Cruz Homer, I think, right? So it's actually it seemed like it yep. was an okay, okay inning outside of that. But obviously, that that's a tough one to give up. Not that it really factored into this game at all. Um, Suter was nice to see. Totally clean inning, like you mentioned, two strikeouts. The only Brewers pitcher in this game to not give up hit, run, or walk. So can't ask for much more than that. And hopefully this is, you know, the start of a, a bit of a streak from him. So you mentioned Lane Thomas. This is a stat I heard on the radio broadcast of uh, game three. And I just looked it up. I believed I confirmed, but I had to do some quick math. He has 39 hits this season in 52 games. Nine of the 39 are against the Brewers. That is 23% of all of his hits this season have come against the crew and I believe a pretty ridiculous amount of his two or his multi-hit games. He has a three hit and two two hit games against the crew. He only has, I think, 11 total multi-hit games. So three of the 11 against the Brewers. He certainly has liked facing Milwaukee this season. He really has uh, that. I uh, had to um, listen to some of these games on the uh the radio uh because of uh some traveling and then go back and watch them and jeff levering was dropping these those same um uh lane thomas stats and yeah, i was, was making say, my drive and i was like how is this possible we mentioned before the series you you mentioned to me you're going to be on the radio excited to hear some uke i forgot to mention to you that uke does not travel anymore but the Brewers radio crew is so stacked between Jeff, Lane Grindle, like it's it's all hits. So I'm still not the best at telling apart Lane and Jeff, but their their um, connection in the booth and, and their, you know, jokes they were talking about doing the Carlton at one point, the insight in the game. It's it's really top notch. A competitive eating contest that I guess they're planning <laughs> when they return home. Yeah, I, I knew you doesn't travel. And for some reason, it still came out of my mouth. It's like I thought we were yeah, they were still in Milwaukee, and I knew they weren't. But I will echo all those things. Levering and Grindle are great. Adam sent me uh, Brian Anderson's uh, Instagram post uh, where he was uh, filming Jeff and Lane watching their, their kids play Little League digitally, I guess. It was like a score update or tracker, and it was just the coolest thing in the world. So, yeah, Lane and Jeff are, are tremendous, and despite – having to play catch up with the visuals last night after uh, hearing the game entirely on the radio. It was, it was a nice change of pace because they are just so good with they, at what they do all the way top down in, in this crew, Anderson, rock, Jeff, Uke, and lane, all, all tremendous. And Sophia, I don't want to forget her as well. 1000% agree. Um, I guess we can move to game two then where. Yeah. Game two was more the same, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Uh, it's tough. You know, the Brewers get on top early. This was the Yelly leadoff homer game, right? Leadoff Yelly gets started early and, you know, ends up with three hits in his five at bats. So again, two, I think the same as last series, two out of the three games were multi-hit games for Yelly, which, you know, after the way he started the year is certainly something that we will take. But this time, unfortunately, it's Lauer who uh, just really did not have it. And it's kind of surprising. I don't know. Were you surprised that... uh Craig let him go back out for the well or finish the fifth after the way he started this game. I was a little surprised. Um, I guess with the, I guess he settled down in the fourth. So maybe there was a thought, okay, we've, we've reached the bump in the road. If we can just get him through five or get him through six, uh, only down four, one, we got a chance to win the game. And as it would turn it out, that would have been true, but it just didn't work out that way. Lauer struggled with command. So the, the Nationals kind of folded in a patient approach due to Lauer's command issues and stayed aggressive with the bats because the two things that really were the theme of his day on the mound were walks and homers. Four walks, three homers. Five innings, seven hits, eight runs, all of them earned. A four spot in the bottom of the third and a four spot in the bottom of the fifth. So it was just two snowball innings highlighted by command issues and and homers so really uncharacteristic day from Lauer he's had a great season his season despite this eight earned run performance his season ERA is still just three three six so uh tough to see not what you want to see uh but again I'm not too worried it's just some of these games were just things that I feel like are going to be outliers in terms of performance for both of these starting pitchers. But in this game, it just really put the Brewers behind the eight ball. I was so excited during the Yelly leadoff homer. I sent some very uh, uh, inappropriate messages to Adam about Patrick Corbin after uh, Yelich hit that homer, um, but it was not to be. Corbin still wasn't good. Uh, six innings pitch, seven hits, four runs, all of them earned, two walks, two strikeouts. As I also told Nat's chat uh, in my audio clip since he sold his soul to the devil in 2019 to win a World Series. Patrick Corbin <laughs> has been a disaster. When, when you when you see a stat line of his and you're like, oh, six innings, four runs. <laughs> he was on his on his game today. You know you're not good at baseball. Unfortunately, the Brewers uh, could not get to the point where that performance led to a win for them. Uh, like you said, Yelly in that leadoff spot just continues to, to shine three for five, uh, a run scored in an RBI. The run scored in the RBI were <laughs> courtesy of his own solo homer. Uh, yeah, if he, like, it's going to be an interesting decision to be made when Colton Wong comes back. But so far, so good um, with Yelly in that leadoff spot. Uh, got some production from other places in the, in the lineup as well. Just wasn't enough. Like you said, lost 8-6 in this game, scored six runs. And with the stats you were dropping about previous series, obviously we will take a six-run outing in a Brewers game because more often than not, that's going to lead to a win. Uh, Lorenzo Cain doubled to score Victor Caratini in the seventh. That was nice to see. Mark Mathias, I think, uh, homered uh, scoring Cain in that seventh as well. And then Urias with a home run in the ninth to uh, – Maybe give us a little false hope. We were hoping for a two-out rally there, but it was not to be. So, you know, decent performance late in the game uh, by some some uh, players down this lineup. Uh, obviously, game was mostly gone at that point. But, hey, we, we've seen this team uh, make insane comebacks both this season and then obviously last season. Everyone remembers that Cubs game. So, uh, just overall, tough to 
tough to uh, to get anything going when your starting pitchers allowed eight runs through five innings, and that was just the, the name of the game. Two more walks for Lane Thomas. Didn't get a hit in this game. Two more walks, two more runs scored. Uh, this guy is just a, a menace. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, so for the the Nats homers, back to back to back home runs, the um, which is just like must just feel awful for Lauer trying to you know get out of the fifth with the score still pretty manageable, but unfortunately just you know three pitches you just can't throw to Soto, Cruz, and then Bell. Um, the unfortunate thing about leadoff Yelly for the first two games of the series, really the series as a whole, the games he got on base a ton, Willie Adamez 0-4-8 with a walk, I believe, over game one and game two, still kind of getting his bearing back. The average dipped all the way down to one nine two after this game. You know, and again, the same as you said with Ashby, you know, earlier, not like we're, I think, worried about Willie, just kind of, you know, getting back to the lineup, slumping a little bit, it happens. But just unfortunate him in the two-hole, just really not able to capitalize much on, on Yelly getting on base so much. But even with that, the run production is good. Urias hits a homer in this game later in the ninth. Lorenzo Kane showing maybe a little bit of signs of life. Kutch having quite a good series. I mean, this game wasn't spectacular, but got on base twice in, in five plate appearances, which isn't too bad at all. Yeah, it's just, you know, you just can't give up eight runs by the the fifth inning. It just makes it really hard to win. But I don't know. I think overall, almost nice to see the crew put five runs up over the last three innings, try at least to make that comeback. And We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other, I guess, silver lining here is the three relief pitchers combined to throw three scoreless innings with three total base runners. Hobie Milner gives up a hit and a walk. Strzelecki, one hit. Devin Williams, perfect one, two, three inning with the only strikeout of a Brewers reliever. But I guess, you know, some good signs, right? Bullpen was good. The runs were scored, even with Willie still cold by this game. But 
you know, even, even against Patrick Corbin, you can't spot the other team eight runs and uh, hope to pull a victory out. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised at uh, how positive I'm being on this podcast based on how much I was pulling my hair out going into Sunday. <laughs> uh, but your Willie Adamas points uh, point is a perfect transition to game three, the game mm. that we actually should be happy about because it ended it the way that we wanted it. And it was overall just a great day of good performances from guys. Uh, eight, six lost in, in game two, uh, Lauer taking the loss there. Um, Patrick Corbin taking the win, which is unfortunate, but moving on to game three of this series in which the Milwaukee Brewers would get a four, one win. Jason Alexander on the mound did his, his high wire act once again, four and two thirds innings pitched seven hits, uh, three walks, but only one earned run allowed. The only run the Nationals would score in the game. I don't know how he does it. He seems to be a guy, uh, and it was uh, the run was only scored in the fifth on a on a sack fly. The, it was dangerously deep to left field, so it was te- a terrifying slack, uh, sack fly. But nevertheless, yeah, Josh Bell with the bases loaded in the fifth sack fly. Alexander, not the prettiest line. Ten base runners allowed across four and two-thirds innings. You'd like to see him make it out of the fifth. But this was a game where the Brewers needed a starting pitcher not to put them out of the game. They needed to just pitch his way in and out of trouble, and that's what he did. I mean, I imagine he's a wonderful poker player, and uh, his heart rate never never gets out of balance with the runners on pace. He sees the traffic, and he just uh, knows how to go from there. It, just, uh, it was something that we talked about in the last episode, was Alexander getting a little lucky or was it skill? The answer is still both, but pitching your way out of trouble is certainly a skill. Is it something that you can keep doing repeatedly without getting burned at some point? Maybe not, but we've seen three starts of it so far. And uh, we'll just have to, I mean, Alexander continues to earn staying in this rotation. He's the the one starting pitcher that uh, didn't have like a, a multi-inning or a multi-run blow-up inning, it, at, at a certain point, you just got to say, all right, keep going out there and just do what you do because it's it's something that you're able to manage uh, somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing with him in this game, it's funny because he gives up all the hits, but it seems like it's the walks that get, at least got him into trouble in this game. I was trying to quickly look back at the last two. I didn't have time. He's thrown multiple. He's he's pitched, I should say, multiple walks in each of his three starts so far. I'm not sure if all of the others came in the inning where he got pulled as well, but I really think you know he gives off he gives up the leadoff single. There's one out in the inning. The whole time, basically, you're like, oh man, he is one ground ball away from just being out of this thing, getting through five, five scoreless, or even after this. Oh, he's pulled after the sack fly, and and Hobie gets the job done really well. But you know, man, it's just get that ground ball, and he walks the next two batters, and that's when the bases are loaded. And it really is kind of funny that you know, for all the hits he does give up. He is such a ground ball contact pitcher that you really would much rather see more potential hits than these walks that get you in a spot where a long fly out is a run as opposed to just being a long fly out. So, you know, that was the the tough part at this point. I think I totally agree. You just have to keep rolling with him. I mean, for obviously the sample is still pretty small, not even adding five more innings to it in this game, but still rocking the 216 ERA, I think. 
That was probably right about on par with what his ERA was in this game. Actually, no, he probably dropped it a little bit with one run and 4.2. But I certainly agree. I mean, just not giving up four or five runs across the first four and two thirds was a huge deal for the Brewers. And clearly with this bullpen that in this game was back what we expect them to be, just like kind of game two, although different different pitchers in each game. It was... uh, what the Brewers needed. Could it have been better? Yes, but still a, a competitive start that even though he didn't qualify for the win, still got the Brewers the win, and that's what matters. Also, can we get Jason Alexander a win someday? This time was his uh, fault, but come on, man. Uh, yeah, it'd be nice. Uh, a stat from Todd Rosiak of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Through three starts, Alexander's 2.22 earn run average is the third lowest in club history, minimum 15 innings, behind only Bill Parsons, who was 1.42 in 1971, and the man he's replacing, Brandon Woodruff, whose uh, ERA was 1.62. So, uh, yeah, really, really nice to see from Alexander. Uh, I'm a fan of his just from a story perspective, and if he keeps working his way out of trouble, I mean, I'm I'm assuming he's already a fan favorite. Um I need to to book my flight to Milwaukee so I can see in person and just judge the uh, the tenor of the crowd. Uh, the man that we talked about having struggled through his last eight uh, eight plate appearances um, in the previous game was Willie Adamas, and he broke out in this game and was essential in getting Brewers the win. He uh, doubled in the third, I believe, with two outs uh, to score. Uh, Tyrone Taylor to give the Brewers a one nothing lead. And then again in the fifth with two outs, a two run Homer scoring Christian Yelich and himself to make it three, nothing big performance, big performance from Willie Adamas uh, after struggling and having him bounce back is going to be enormous for this team. Like you said, average non-base percentage have dipped lately. Slugging is still solid. So when he's, when he's getting hits, uh, he's hitting them a long way. I believe that was his 11th home run of the season. And that would put him at the top of the leaderboard for the Brewers this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna double check my math here. I'm trying to remember if if Renfro or Rowdy have gone gone yard recently, and I don't I, think they have I because we would have talked now. about it. Yeah, he does have 11 now. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, so Willie at the the top of the home run leaderboard. Uh, as Adam and, and I had been, I guess, j- joking uh, for the last few weeks. Is I think it was on the playback. We're like uh, the Milwaukee, uh, the Valley Sports Wisconsin graphic team is uh, having to run the same graphic out there of Rowdy, Willie, and Hunter all in that same order, and nothing's changed. So they, they haven't had to uh, do do any graphic design for a while, and now finally a uh, new graphic will be uh, on the board for the Valley Sports Wisconsin team. So look for that. Yeah, the big uh, big hits from Willie. Obviously, we talked about Alexander. Uh, loading the bases in the Josh Bell sack fly in the fifth. In comes Hobie Milner, who continues to just be excellent. Uh, I think there was a lefty at the plate in Yadiel Hernandez. So council uh, wanted to get the, the favorable platoon split situation, brings in Milner. Uh, the Nationals counter by pinch hitting right-hander Michael Franco. Doesn't matter. Hobie Milner uh, gets the out. Uh, gets out of the inning, then comes in and throws a scoreless sixth inning as well. Uh, I think I don't know if you want to wait for for this uh, during our uh, first take or pardon the interruption uh, section later in the podcast, but I know you had some Hobie stats. 
Um, season ERA down to two, four, five. Just excellent performance by Ho- by Hobie in a clutch spot, coming in with runners on uh, first and second in a game where the Nationals. We've seen the Nationals put up four spots in an inning to really kill any chance the Brewers have in a game, and in this this instance, they were chasing. Um, and he just shut, shut it down and then came out and had another shutdown inning. So great performance from Hobie Milner. And then you go Fox, Williams, Hader to finish out the game. Three scoreless innings for those two. Two strikeouts for Box, three for Hader, who just comes out looking filthy, looking like a guy who was pissed off that he gave up uh, two solo shots in the Philly series. So just a great performance from the bullpen as a whole. And then in that top of the ninth, before Hader came out onto the mound, Andrew McCutcheon with a little bit of insurance and and the home run. So, yeah, just a, a nice tidy win that had some moments of drama early when Alexander was getting runners on the base pass and getting out of innings. But uh, solid outing all around uh, for the Brewers. Obviously, the offense was more prominent and the two losses, but uh, they got exactly what they needed in the final game of the series. Yeah, it was before I circled back to uh, Hobie was nice to see Hader bounce back with maybe a little bit of a vengeance, three strikeouts, throwing nothing, but only Hader can afford this much premium gas at this point in the country is what I'll say. Um, what a dominant ninth inning. And I, I don't think anyone expected him to just suddenly be bad, right? I mean, guys have bad bad innings, bad outings. It happens. But I will say just extra nice to see him come in and, and absolutely immolate three uh, nationals and make sure there was no drama. Kutch helped with that as well with the dinger in the top of the ninth. And also, it sounded like on the broadcast he was close to another homer earlier in this game. So maybe Kutch showing why he continues to bat fifth even when – yeah, maybe Omar could be there, maybe Renfro, but Kutch had a pretty, pretty good series. But Hobie the homie, 10 inherited runners so far this season, zero have scored. I got it wrong at first. I tweeted nine. Adam corrected me. So shout out Adam for the fact check on that. But for a guy who is, you know, a middle reliever, the kind of guy who is going to come in and take over a situation like that, not really, you know, your eighth setup guy, even your seventh inning setup guy in most situations, much less a closer, you know, that's got to be his specialty almost. I mean, obviously facing lefties is a specialty for any lefty reliever. But if you have a guy like this who you can trust to bring on with runners in scoring position and retire them, that's a huge deal. And that's what Hobie Milner has been all year for the crew. Kind of interesting to look at his just career. I mean, he's 31 or this is his age, his age 31 season. He is actually he is still 31 he's 31 and a half january birthday shout out me and hobie but he has not pitched more than he's only pitched double digit innings in a season four times this is already the second most innings hobie has pitched in a season his 2.45 era is his second best mark in his career the best mark was the only time he's pitched more innings his rookie year when he pitched 31 innings and had a straight 2.01 ERA, which is absolutely electric. In the years between seven innings, 7.1, 4.2, um, or no, 7.1, sorry, the next one was a partial season. 3.2, 13.1, 21.2. That last one was last year with the Brewers. His 5.4 ERA last year was his third best. So literally, his top three seasons of innings pitched are also his best three in terms of lowest ERA. 
So what I'm saying is you let Hobie pitch every game, he's going to end up with a 0.5 ERA. The trend is obvious. No, but seriously, maybe there's something more here than a quick look at his career, like, I don't know, box scores or whatever would, would have you believe. Either way, he's been awesome for the Brewers. You don't want to read too much into anything through you know, 27 appearances, but hard to complain about what we've seen from Hobie. Absolutely. Um, before more, moving on to a positive note, uh, this did, uh, this was another game where the injury bug bit the Brewers. Luis Arias left early due to right hamstring discomfort. Mark Mathias entered the game for him. Uh, they say it was for precautionary reasons, but the last time someone was taken out for precautionary reasons and we didn't think it would result in an IL stint was Colton Wong, and now he's on the IL. So we'll see what happens with Arias there. Uh, day off today, so hopefully that can uh, give him some time to, to recover, get back in the lineup. Uh, if if Colton were, were healthy, uh, it wouldn't be as much of an issue because Jace Peterson obviously has played excellent third base. We'll get to this later, but like Jace Peterson for Gold Glove agenda is on. Um, but moving on to happier notes, uh, Craig Council, 563 wins, tying Phil Gardner as the franchise all-time winningest manager. Uh, obviously, Council's the best manager in Brewers history, and now he has that win total next to his name uh, that proves it and shows it. And uh, the only thing missing now is that World Series. And uh, we'll see if he gets gets there in the next few seasons because uh, despite the struggles, this club is good. They just got to figure some things out. Uh, three games against the the very, very, very good New York Mets, though, all, as you noted, they're going through some pitching woes right now with injuries. Um, three games against the Mets. Will he get a chance to break it this week? We'll see. But uh, tied Phil Garner, the man with the the great mustache. Yeah, I think shout out to Craig Council, who I remember when he was hired. It was at least for me, and obviously was not. I'm not now, and certainly was not then the most knowledgeable on baseball. But it's like, oh, okay, they hired you know the Wisconsin guy who went to school, grew up here, born here, went to school here, played for the Brewers a little bit. Yeah, is that really a good move or is that like uh, everyone will like this move move? But no, I think clearly has been one of the Brewers' best managers ever. Uh, and nice to have him around. We're still going to have our, our dithers with some of his decisions and, and roster moves and all of these things. But certainly a good MLB manager is he the best. Who knows? That's not honestly even worth discussing, I think. This is a sport where the coaches are called managers and have to wear uniforms for some reason. So I just feel weird getting too deep into coaching breakdowns. I don't know why that throws me off, but it does. Um, but shout out to Craig Council, very well-deserved and, you know, continues to put together the best run here in Brewers history pretty comfortably. Absolutely. And that that finishes off the series, lost two out of three. Obviously, against a bad team, that's not what you want to see, but I think at this point it was just important to stem the bleeding and and stop the losing streak. Honestly, like now now uh, let's start a winning streak. I think that's next uh, on the board and also very helpful to have that off day. Moving on to the Master Brewer leaderboard, and I'm wondering if Adam's going to chastise me when he listens to this episode because we we've had some discussion with are we being too liberal with handing out points. Um, and I say no, uh, yes and no, we probably are, 
but it just seems to happen that every series there's guys that were rewarding for the overall consistency of their play in the series, or they had a big hit or a big homer. And there's also guys that did something that was so needed in the moment that even if their performance across the entire series or across an entire game wasn't elite, it feels wrong not to reward them. So that being said, you're, you may be listening to this. Adam may be listening to this. Adam, if you're listening to this, I hope you feel better soon. We miss you, buddy. Uh, this may seem a little crazy to have this many guys in a series that they lost, but here we go. Uh, I have imposter syndrome and I hate myself, so I need to uh, couch everything I before <laughs> I say it. Uh, but first is leadoff Yelly, Christian Yelich, six for 14 in the series, one homer, one RBI, three runs scored. And the Ty Windish managerial masterclass <laughs> to get Yelich into this part of the lineup makes so much sense and so far so good. Yelich now leads the team for qualified hitters with OBP 327, 242, 327, 381 uh, for a 708 OPS. Not great numbers, but there are positive trends of him swinging back in the right direction and just the type of hitter he hit is now, it makes so much more sense to be him to be that table setter at the top of the lineup. Leads the team in hits, leads the team in walks, and I just really like what this can do for the team. And it lengthens the lineup if you it, when they're fully healthy. And I, I like the idea of even when Colton's back, batting Colton towards the bottom of the lineup, give give you someone uh, get on base a, a little set better the table there. for the start of the next the turnaround. Right, I like that idea too. Exactly, like a, the second leadoff hitter idea kind of thing. Yeah. You know, back back in uh, when pitchers could hit, uh, the, the idea was you do that, you bat your pitcher eighth. A lot of guys did that and had a, another guy ninth. And yeah, you did as like the, okay, what if we can the second time and third time through the order kind of stack the deck that way? And that could be a potential idea with, with Yelich and Colton if he keeps hitting the way that he's had he has one more one more thing yelly leads the team in stolen bases now with nine he had one steal in this series has yet to be caught stealing this year i don't know where you come in on stealing the baseball uh, stealing stealing a base i know analytically i think is it Moneyball where they argue you should actually never steal it's not worth it or i I don't know i think at some point that was a topic but if you're not going to get caught it's probably pretty good wong this year has eight steals but has been caught three times which is a lot less ideal yeah, there's a percentage that I can't remember what the percentage is, but there's a percentage where if it's like you're not, if you're successful a certain amount of the time, it makes sense in terms of the risk reward. I should look that up, but I don't, I don't have it at the top of my head. But yeah, Yelly is just such a, such a smart base stealer. And uh, like you said, that's showing itself to be true. Doesn't get caught. Um, another guy, Jace Peterson, hit a three-run homer, two for eight in the series. Um, so not gaudy numbers, three RBI on that homer. But the guy is just playing such tremendous defense at third base, and that needed to be rewarded as I called it solid defensive contributions. Adam chastised me and uh, because of his great play over the rail, uh, making the catch and foul territory in the final game of the series, which was a tremendous play. Uh, my Jace Peterson for Gold Glove agenda, like I said, is is off to a off to the races. He is uh, tied for fifth in outs above average for Major League third baseman with uh, three behind or I, actually he he might be better let me see that okay dj lemayhew was listed and i think that's just uh he's played some third for the yankees this year and i think they listed him as a second baseman because he him and jace are guys that that uh play multiple positions so you're seeing live me trying to figure out what i'm looking at <laughs> looking at on baseball savant but yeah tied for 
uh, fourth, actually. So it would be with three outs above average, uh, two runs prevented, um, base, according to Baseball Savant. Just really, really great third baseman. And something that probably I didn't realize about Jace coming into the season. I'd uh, seen him play in the past, obviously. Uh, he's kind of saving his career with the Brewers. He had had some struggles with, with the Orioles a few years ago. And, you know, when a guy, a super utility guy gets into his 30s, you wonder, like, what what kind of role is there for a team and he's essential to this team it's one of these situations where when everyone's healthy you need to find ways to get him in the lineup because he's providing that power i think the you know like we said the on-base percentage had dipped a little bit um in in the last few games it's down to 292 i think that'll get back up i mean he's he's a great uh kind of navigator of the strike zone so I'm not worried about that. I think you'll start to see the walks start to pile up again. Um, but yeah, just uh, another reliable series from Jason on the defensive end is is kind of what put him over the top for me in this series. Yeah, I think anytime you have a guy who's basically a super sub but can step in and give you not just good but plus defense, that's awesome. Nice to see him with a little bit of pop, although personally I prefer average over over power for hitters. But again, I, I just probably shouldn't complain too much about a guy who's coming in off the bench, age 32, and able to not just, again, not just hold, like hold up, but I remember I think it was our last playback where he didn't get the out, the throw was late, but like tumbling out of play, out of like toward the, the stands away from third, and just makes an incredible turnaround throw to first that no hop, like right to Rowdy. That's a special talent. Third base is hard to play, man. They call it the hot corner for a reason. So definitely can't argue with Jace. Some timely hitting, the dinger, and like you mentioned, just holding it down on the defensive end. Absolutely. Uh, This is one that Adam may take issue with because when I suggested this person to him, he didn't respond. So I took that to mean he was mad at me. Uh, But Omar Narvaez started two games in this series, was on base multiple times in both games, three for seven with a walk. Uh, All three hits were singles, and he threw out uh, a base runner trying to steal in the final game of the series. Uh, Nice to see Omar bouncing back after being on the the COVID list for a while, having a really nice season in limited at-bats. 113 at bats, 283 average, 372 OBP, 416 slugging. Uh, he's got one win above replacement so far this year. Obviously, we know what he can do as a pitch framer as well. So, seeing the game on or the game on radio and only catching up uh, via the condensed game, I'm sure he was some stealing some strikes that I missed as well because he is just uh, very adept at framing. But Omar Narvaez gets on the board. Still the Brewers' average leader by uh, a, a country mile, not a big country mile, but up to 283 after his two-for-four performance. Out of four plate appearances in the two games he played, game one and game three, he's on base 50% of the time in both games, which is is pretty elite. I mean, the way he's swung the bat this year has been awesome. And I it's hard to I, – I always – it's probably from growing up with Euchre on the radio and Rock on the TV broadcast, but – always appreciate catchers a little bit more anyone who's played catcher will make sure that you're aware of how difficult it is to play catcher so i always appreciate the backstops and i think omar getting a a brewer point here for coming back you know just not too long ago was on the COVID list we've know all too well unfortunately on this podcast how difficult that has been to deal with so i think omar coming back picking up right where he left off on both ends 
is pretty impressive. So I, I have no issue with the, uh, the plus point here for Narvaez. Next up, Andrew McCutcheon seems to be bouncing back um, from the slump. Five for 12, the homer in the ninth inning of the third game of the series. Two RBI, four runs scored. Really nice to see Andrew McCutcheon bounce back. Uh, a few more uh, maybes that we have and now can debate. There are a few guys, uh, one in particular. So Jason Alexander, Hobie Milner uh, are two guys that we're considering adding. And, you know, I asked myself, can you reward Alexander when, as a starting pitcher, he didn't make it out of the fifth? But as I pointed out, some of what we're doing here, and we make this up as we go along because that's <laughs> what a podcast is. This is our podcast. that We can do whatever we want. I think it's about sometimes a player meeting a moment and giving the team what they need in that moment, even if it doesn't look pretty. And I think that's what Jason Alexander did after two tough starts from Lauer and Ashby, where the starting pitchers uh, had just innings where they gave up multiple runs and put the Brewers out of the game. Alexander came in and limited the damage. I'm in favor of rewarding that. I know it's we're playing loosey-goosey with some things here, and it, you know, Maybe too uh, liberal of an application of what earns a point, but I'm here for it. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think really, I think I'm okay. I'm doing the LeBron MVP vote thing, which might piss off some Bucks fans listeners right away, but he's kind of done that in all three starts to an extent. This is the first time the Brewers win, but you know, all three starts this month, his first one was right when the scuffling began in Chicago against the Cubs second one against Philly and one of the few games over this stretch where the Brewers did not give up what feels like about a million runs uh, to the opposing team. And then this one where they finally do get the win. But I think you talk about stepping up in the moment that feels like all that Alexander has done. And I think he probably does deserve a second point. Even if this start wasn't the greatest, he did get the job done. But you look at you know, the they weren't giving up as many runs against the Padres, but the Phillies, he only, what did Alexander give up in that game? Earned, I think one, one earned run in five innings, and they go on to lose, so he doesn't get one there. But, you know, the Brewers give up three runs in that loss. They give up 10 and then eight in the next two because things fell apart. And similarly in this series, the two non-Alexander games, they give up 11 and eight, So and then one in this one. So in the last two series, they're, the Brewers are one and five. They've given up four total runs in Jason Alexander starts. And God, this is a big number, man. I can't do this kind of math this early in the morning. 37 runs in the non-Jason Alexander starts of the last two series. 37 runs in four games. So it's literally either been Jason Alexander or the entire team falls apart in the last two series. I think we can give him a point. And then a guy that I didn't necessarily think of, but you made the case uh, for take it away with the last name for consideration. Yeah, Hobie Milner, Hobie the homie. I just think getting up, and again, I, we shouldn't, I guess, like you said, we can do whatever we want because it's our thing. But I, I don't want to wait past stuff too much, but it is now up to 10 guys left on base. And I think these last two were super important because – you know, obviously the losing streak is going to be snapped eventually. It's probably not something you should worry about too much, although it was just really dire. And I think, you know, I had these good takes about the crew is finally starting to score runs, and that's good. And 
if you get Woodruff healthy, Peralta healthy, Ashby and Lauer pitch a little better, Burns pitches better. With the fact that they're swinging the bats now, even against subpar pitching, it's a good sign and there's positive takeaways. But if you get swept again and the losing streak continues, it's not going to feel that positive. So Hobie coming in, really that inning, looking back, and even in the moment, you could kind of tell that was going to be the turning point, right? That fifth inning, the Brewers tack on two, but the Nationals, who had been so timely with their swings, had the opportunity to not just even it up, but take the lead at any point. Hobie, actually, no, they had the opportunity to even it up, excuse me. Um, but Hobie comes in and just 100% gets the job done, no drama. And for the series, uh, was it 2.1 scoreless innings? Continues to just be incredible out of the bullpen. So I'll leave it to you to be the arbiter here. You're you're our pilot of this podcast, but uh, not a Seattle pilot, uh, but a, a Brewers pilot. Um, but I think Hobie at least deserves consideration. If he doesn't get it, okay. It, Hopefully he has more amazing outings next series, and I can argue this again. Um, I'm I'm gonna put him on the board, and so Adam can yell at me later, yes. um, for for being too lenient with things. But here here's the thing: I talked about with Alexander, it's meeting the moment. When did Hobie Milner come into this into the baseball game that they won in Game Three? It was in a spot where uh, the Nationals had just scored the run on that deep sack fly, and Milner comes into a game being asked to shut the door. He also was originally selected to face a left-handed hitter, and the Nationals countered that. Hobie Milner, the, we were talking about this off-air, but when the three-batter minimum rule was introduced, that threatened the career of guys like Hobie Milner that you would think of as a lefty specialist. And Hobie has proven this season that he can get righties out, he can get lefties out. And so coming into a game, you're on an eight-game losing streak, you have a lead, but you come into a stressful situation, you shut the door in that inning, and then you give another inning. I think that's a situation, like we were saying, that he met the moment. Um, so we'll give a point to Hobie. The 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 uh, the one I guess guy left out because of how stacked the board is. Devin Williams, two scoreless innings in this series. He's been incredible. He's a under the radar All Star candidate for the Brewers after a tough start to the season. He has been excellent. So won't add another point to the board for him, and it. It is slightly unfair, but uh, just the the nature of the situation that that Milner walked into and executed just puts it over the edge for me. So I hear your argument, and, and I award you. But uh, Devin Williams on the season, uh, two six three ERA, and uh, let's see here twenty four innings, and his strikeouts per nine now up to fourteen point six. So. <sighs> After the tough start to the season, Williams has just been excellent. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I tapped in a little late because of the whole Bucks thing that I don't want to talk about that playoff run anymore. But I, all I saw on Twitter, right, was, oh, man, Devin struggling so much here in the early going. Pretty much around the time I really tapped into the Brewers, he was back to it. So every time I hear that, I have to smile a little bit. So it's for me personally, it's been like, yeah, same old Devin Williams. The guy's incredible. Please don't punch any walls this, uh, this playoff time. Leaderboard through 62 games. We are 62 games into this Major League Baseball season. You know wow. what that means. There are 100 left. So, nice round number. Rowdy Flez with nine. Jace Peterson, Christian Yelich, Corbin Burns with six. Josh Hader with five. Willie Adamas with four. Andrew McCutcheon, Tyrone Taylor, Aaron Ashby, Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, Hunter Renfro, Devin Williams, Colton Wong with three. Omar Narvaez, Brandon Woodruff, Luis Urias, Adrian Hauser, Keston Hira, and Hobie Milner. 
and Jason Alexander with two now. Brad Boxberger, Victor Caratini, Trevor Gott, Luke Barker, Peter Strzelecki. Ho- uh, sorry, I'm reading the old notes. Not Hobie Milner. Hobie Milner has two. So that updates the leaderboard. Go to the Substack for the leaderboard. Well, I'll have well, I'll ha- where I'll have this actually accurate. So, uh, moving on, where did the Brewers find themselves? Uh, finally, relinquished their lead in the NL Central uh, due to the first two games of the series, but the Cardinals did drop Game Three to the Reds. So, St. Louis Cardinals thirty-four and twenty-seven with a half-game lead over the Brewers, who are thirty-four and twenty-eight. And a tough test is on the schedule for the Brewers uh, coming up. So, like we mentioned, they'll have the off day today, which can only help give guys a day and some rest. Um, Tuesday, June 14th, 6-10 central start at the New York Mets in City Field. Adrian Hauser versus Chris Bassett. Wednesday, June 15th, 6-10 central start. Nationally televised on Fox Sports 1, which is you know very intriguing. Get some, some national love for the Brewers. It's going to be Corbin Burns versus David Peterson, and then Thursday, June 16th, 6-10 Central start again, Aaron Ashby versus Tyler McGill. After the three-game set against the Mets, the Brewers will head to Cincinnati, and then finally, uh, Monday, June 20th, return home to face the Cardinals. Uh, But another three-city road trip, nine straight on the road. Obviously, lost two out of three to the Nationals, one on getaway day, uh, which is probably why we're so cheery. So Willie Adamas, Hobie Milner, Jason Alexander, thanks very much for, for making us uh, feel happy on this podcast. But that that pretty much does it for me today. Ty, you have anything else you want to add? It's been great. Uh, well, bad circumstances that have uh, <laughs> led to you talking to me uh, twice in the last week. But it is always nice to, to talk baseball with you and, you know, anything, life, whatever it may be. <laughs> I, not really much for me. A quick note on the Mets series. I mean, I think it's going to be tough. They're really swinging the bats really well despite the pitcher injuries. But you'd hope you can at least go in there and get one game and then maybe do a little bit better against Cincinnati. But, you know, three solid pitchers. I mean, you were naming their names, and I'm not super familiar with them. But just looking at how they've pitched this year, you know, you're not seeing guys coming in with like a lopsided seven ERA against the Brewers. They're still solid pitchers, but a lot different than, you know, DeGrom, Scherzer, etc. So hopefully the crew can steal one. Two wins would be great. But, you know, if you don't get swept, I think the way the Mets are playing in New York, you've got to be okay, I think, with one run. Although certainly two would be awesome. But I guess I come bearing a gift, sort of, by by way of uh, by way of Blue Wire. So you mentioned our your your audio clip you sent to Nats Chat. They returned the favor, so I believe we have a clip from Al Galdi of Nats Chat, also the host of the Al Galdi podcast, covering all things DC sports. But Nats Chat is an awesome show, and I think this clip a little bit about Nelson Cruz, who maybe we can touch on after we let it run as a potential. We talked about who was the Oriole last time that Mancini. Yes, Trey Mancini. As as one, maybe Nelson Cruz is another trade candidate. I know the Nationals not really going anywhere. Cruz is a little bit older at the moment, and Shodi can still hit a bit against the Brewers, and also uh, a bit of a, a funny occurrence. So let's uh, roll that bad boy real quick. How about now the uh, slash line for Nelson Cruz on the season? So he was horrendous to begin this season, as we all know. Well, his batting average is up to 261. You know, it's not terrible. His on-base percentage is up to 342. That's pretty good. Now, a slugging percentage is a mere 387. That's got to get better. But Nelson Cruz is digging himself out of the massive hole that he dug himself into 
with his ratchet start to the season. And of course, with Nelson Cruz, as I have preached, as I know many of you have thought, it's all about August 2nd. It's all about that MLB trade deadline and what the Nats can get for Nelson Cruz. And is he healthy? And is he in a good place? Well, right now, he is certainly trending toward being in a very good place as this season goes on. We'll see. You know, we're still, what, a month and a half away from the trade deadline. But Nelson Cruz is fixing his season. Got to get the power going. That's true. But good to see the home run on Friday night. You know, that was not some cheapo home run. Like I said, 417 feet. And uh, man, it's just one opposite field hit after another these days for Nelson Cruz. So Nelson Cruz on Friday night had four hits. Two other Nats on Friday night each had three hits. K. Barrett Ruiz and Lane Thomas. K. Barrett, of course, was an ad starting catcher. He was the number six batter. Three for five with a solo homer and two singles. Uh, Ruiz in the bottom of the second, a leadoff infield single on an 0-2 pitch. This was an interesting play. Now the pitch swung on, hit hard on the ground, diving stop by the first baseman, Telez. And the pitcher didn't get there, and Ruiz legs out an infield hit. The hit came on a well-hit one-hop grounder that was impressively fielded by the Brewers' first baseman, the Brewers' burly first baseman, Rowdy Telez. If there is another player in MLB who is more fitting of his team in terms of how the player looks, I don't know who that is. Rowdy Telez looks like a Milwaukee Brewer, okay? If you know what he looks like, he looks like a Milwaukee Brewer. But he made a really good play on this play, a diving backhanded catch. But the Brewers' starting pitcher, Aaron Ashby, like fell asleep. And he was ultra slow to cover first base. He didn't even start moving toward first base until well late into the play. And so K. Bear Ruiz uh, ended up beating the burly Rowdy Telez in a race to first base. You know, it, it wasn't exactly two speedsters going at it. Yeah, it wasn't Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson in the Olympics going at it there in terms of a catcher in K. Bear Ruiz and the burly Rowdy Telez. But K. Bear beat out Rowdy to the bag for the hit. Then K. Bear Ruiz in the Nats 4 run six, a one out first pitch solo homer to center field for a 10 3 Nats lead. Uh, the homer going a projected 402 feet. For StatCast, Cabot Ruiz in the bottom of the eighth, a one-out single to center field on a 1-2 pitch. And we also had uh, some more defensive success for Cabot Ruiz on Friday night. Now, I want to couch that by saying the Brewers did rack up some stolen bases in this game, but I think a decent amount of that, if not a majority of that, was on the Nats pitchers as opposed to Cabot Ruiz. But Cabot Ruiz in the top of the third picked off Rowdy Telez at first base for the third out. Pitch. Way too high, snap throw to first, and they've got him. Bell tags him out. The Nationals do it again. You know, that back pick play is becoming something that Kbert Ruiz can do quite well, as we are seeing, and he did it again on Friday night, and uh, and he did it to poor Rowdy Telez. Kbert Ruiz is uh, going to give Rowdy Telez nightmares this weekend, I feel like, off what happened on Friday night. Yeah, N- Nelson Cruz, uh, an interesting idea. The only issue is... Uh, no defensive, no defensive value as well. Uh, so it's tough to have both him and Kutch on the roster. If I, and I think Kutch's bounce back is real. I think this is going to continue. I think obviously he won't look like vintage Kutch, but I think he's going to be at least giving you enough, uh, value with the bat that you're when you're looking to upgrade, you're probably looking for someone that can play a defensive position, but it's an interesting idea because we know what Cruz can do with the bat when he's locked in. Um, because we just saw it <laughs> and uh he sent luke barker back to nashville which angered me greatly so yeah nelson cruz has got power he can draw a walk get on base uh 
you'd, you'd assume he'll move at the deadline. The question is where back in the day, uh, when a guy like Cruz would, you know, hit the trade block, it'd be like, well, where is he going to go? Uh, oh, it should probably be an AL team, but the DH is everywhere now, baby. So 41 year old, uh, designated hitter, the market is limitless for the nationals as they explore, um, something he has a one year, $15 million contract, uh, mutual option for next year. Uh, so 12 million in salary for this year and then a $3 million buyout for the following year. So that's kind of so, what the money looks like for him. So probably a little see... expensive for a guy with no position for the crew, at least. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have, uh, some thoughts on the trade deadline in future episodes. I think we, we know there'll probably be some relief help just from a volume and a workload standpoint and injuries and uh, guys not performing. I think that's where Stearns will definitely look to improve on the field. Will he find an area? Who knows? But we will definitely touch on that in future episodes. Thanks to Natch Chat for a little collaboration this week. Always, always great to to kind of go back and forth uh, with some Blue Wire family. We would have a nice little opportunity for the Brewers broadcast if they did acquire him. Fun fact, which I was not aware of. Actually, double fun fact. One, his baseball reference nickname is Boomstick, which I did not know, but obviously an elite nickname. Two actually made his MLB debut with the Brewers back in 2005, played a grand total of eight games, one hit. It was a double, two walks, uh, but then that was it. And then obviously went to Texas for quite a while, but Nelson Cruz, former Brewer would be an old friend, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Probably not the most likely target. I think that does it for us today on cruising for bruising again. Thank you to Ty for joining me. Let's go down through all the places you can find us. Obviously, subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be. Leave a five-star review. I'll sing it. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, at BrewersGSBN. Follow me, at AC Snide, Ty, at Ty Windish, and Adam, at AdamMcGee11. Follow the Eurostep uh, podcast so you, uh, on uh, anywhere you can get podcasts, things of that nature, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, so you can get Ty and Rohan Cotty on the Eurostep podcast talking about the Bucks. Adam and Jordan Tresky on the Win and Six podcast talking about the Bucks. And uh, gsbn.info. It's got everything you could possibly need to find us and where we put our work. Uh, there's the great Bucks offseason simulator, simulator uh, which I've played a few times and I keep getting fired um, because <laughs> I don't mind spending billionaires' money. Uh, <laughs> And then last but not least, uh, the merch store, GSBN, that's in the gsbn.info, but gsbnstore.com, you can find great Eurostep merch, great cruising for a bruising merch, great one and six merch. Support the fellas. I, uh, my favorite is the uh, classic crew neck sweatshirt. It's uh, incredibly comfy. Order a size up. I got a large. I'm 5'8", 5'10", uh, if I were on dating apps. Um and it's just so cozy. It's just like night fits nicely around the wrist and the waist, and it's just so soft. So, yeah, um, I think that's everything. Ty, any other uh, things I forgot to plug? I think you, you covered it all. You're you know rookie season on GSPN, but you know stepping into it like a pro, very Jason Alexander esque. So no, I think uh, we're pretty much good to go, Andrew. Yeah, we have a lot of similarities there. But uh, yeah, until next time, thanks for listening, and thank you, Ty. Thank you, Andrew.